Hey, it's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the Redeeming God Podcast. All right, trivia time. Forgive me for the pun here, or play on words. (laughs) Here's the question. What is the biggest butt in the Bible? (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to discover the answer to that question in today's study of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, Prior to that, though, I will also answer a quick question from a reader or a listener about the topic of Calvinism. Before that, though, I do sort of have a news item to discuss. Here's the news. I now accept Dogecoin on my website, redeeminggod.com. You can uh, use Dogecoin to join my discipleship group. And uh, if you follow some steps, I suggest, I'm going to talk about this here in a second. If you follow some steps, I suggest, then you can earn about $60 in free cryptocurrency. And uh, you can use that to uh, join my discipleship group. Or I guess you could just, you know, cash it out and get get free 60 bucks. Or uh, keep it invested in uh, cryptocurrency to see what happens to it in the future. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's where we're headed today. The uh, Ephesians 2.4 discussion about Calvinism and a discussion about cryptocurrency and how to join my discipleship group for free. That's where we're headed. All right, so I don't know if you're part of my discipleship group or not. If you've been thinking about joining it, uh, I I do want to just sort of lay out here an option for you on how to join my discipleship group for free and in the process also earn about $50 for yourself. Of course, if you are part of my discipleship group already, then uh, this sort of the steps I'm going to lay out here, you can still take benefit of them and uh, earn about $60 for yourself. The reason for the difference there is because my discipleship group is $9 a month. So anyway, if you haven't joined, then there's the $9 plus 50. If you are joined, then here's 60 bucks for you, okay? So um, uh, basically the bottom line is this. I don't know if you know anything about cryptocurrency, but I now accept cryptocurrency as part, uh, uh, as a way to join my discipleship group, okay? Now I personally own a bit of Dogecoin and it is my favorite cryptocurrency of all the ones available out there. And uh, I did talk about this back in February of this year when I first sort of started learning about cryptocurrency. I've learned a lot since then. Back then, Dogecoin was at about seven cents when I first made that announcement or started looking into it. Uh, Seven cents back in February. Today, right as I was preparing this, I just checked and it is worth 19 cents. So it's more than doubled in that time. Of course, it did go up to about 70 cents and then drop back down to about 20 cents where we're at now. Uh, Dogecoin, cryptocurrency in general, is very volatile, so I want you to keep that in mind. What I'm going to say here is not financial advice. I want to make sure you understand that. I'm not telling you what I recommend you do with your money. I'm just sort of explaining to you what I have done and laying out an option for maybe what you can do if you'd like to, okay? Um. So anyway, if you don't know what cryptocurrency is, maybe we should start there real briefly. Cryptocurrency is, it's a currency, okay? It's not a stock, we're not, you're not, it's not a company that you're buying shares of or anything like that. It's a currency, like dollars, okay? Dollars is a currency of the United States government. Uh, Cryptocurrency is a digital form of money. It's a digital currency, okay? 
Uh, you probably heard of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the most famous of all digital currencies, cryptocurrencies. And there are other digital uh, cryptocurrencies as well. My favorite is Dogecoin. But again, there are others like Ethereum or Litecoin or whatever. Okay. So now, just like you can go out and buy things with your dollars in your wallet or use a credit card or whatever, which of course is using dollars as well, you can also buy things with a cryptocurrency, depending on if the, the company or the internet site or whatever uh, allows you to pay with cryptocurrency, okay? So uh, I do allow you to pay with cryptocurrency, and there's lots and lots of companies out there that do. So just like you can pay for my discipleship group with dollars, you can also pay with my discipleship group with a cryptocurrency, your favorite cryptocurrency, okay? So uh, sort of a, a brief introduction there to cryptocurrency. There's a lot more involved, but uh, I'll let you to do some Google research on that on your own if you'd like to. Anyway, here's the thing, how it works, okay? I have a way for you to get about $60 worth of free cryptocurrency, all right? Um, now, if you would like to use part of that to join my discipleship group in the first month, $9, then you get $9 the first month for free, and then about $50 worth of free cryptocurrency. You can uh, keep it invested. You could um, save it. You could, you know, keep cash it out and, and deposit that money into your, your savings account or your checking account or whatever, okay? But let me just talk you through briefly how this works. So first of all, you are going to have to visit my website uh, to click on a link, all right? So there's a link at, uh, you can go to the, 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 the manuscript section for this podcast episode, redeeminggod.com slash Ephesians 2.4, or I also have it at redeeminggod.com pay with crypto, uh, pay dash with dash crypto, C-R-Y-P-T-O. And, and uh, both places sort of have sort of some guidelines and steps on how to do what I'm telling you to do. Okay. So basically you, you visit those pages on my website and click on my referral link. It is a referral link, but you need to do that because that referral link gets you a free $10 in Bitcoin. That's the first $10 you get. Now, how do you get the free $10 of Bitcoin? You have to open an account. It's a free account at uh, with Coinbase, okay? And then here's the thing. There's one sort of the catch here. You say, yeah, there's always a catch, Jeremy. That's right. Here it is. You have to buy $100 worth of cryptocurrency in order to get $10 of free uh, Bitcoin, okay? Now, here's the thing, though. Once you buy the $100 in crypto and get your $10 of free crypto— and then also the additional $50 or so of other free cryptocurrency that I'm going to talk to you about in a bit. You know what? You, you can cash it out. You can uh, sell it back into dollars and redeposit it into your checking account and or your savings account or whatever. You could keep it invested. You know, you can do whatever you want with it. So you're not really losing the $100. You're just buying $100. You get $10 of free Bitcoin, and that's your first 10 bucks. Okay. Now, once you have uh, opened your Coinbase account, they want their customers to be educated about what cryptocurrency is and how it works and some of the available options that are out there for you with cryptocurrency. So they've created all of these uh, free sort of five-minute uh, tutorial videos that teaches you about cryptocurrency. There's a bunch of them on their site at Coinbase. 
And for every one that you complete, each one takes about five minutes. For each one you complete, you get about $3 to maybe up to $10 worth of other cryptocurrencies. There's a wide variety of them, and they reward you by taking these courses, these, these little five-minute courses. It's really all they are, about five minutes. Uh, for each one, you get get between three and ten dollars of cryptocurrency. Okay, uh, I did all of them, and it took me eh, maybe a little over thirty minutes or so, and I ended up with about fifty dollars worth of cryptocurrency at the end. Okay, so I don't know how long it's going to take you, and I, you know, I, I imagine you'll get about the same money, I uh, same amount of cryptocurrency I did. But uh, anyway, so so that's how you get the sixty dollars. Okay, you spend a hundred to, to buy some crypto. You know, I would buy Bitcoin maybe, or maybe Dogecoin or Litecoin, or Ethereum, something like that, get us get $100, then you get your free $10 of Bitcoin, you take all these tutorial lessons, you get another $50, okay, and look at this, in about, it takes about half an hour to open an account, half an hour to take all the lessons and courses and so on, uh, in, in one hour then, you have changed your $100 into about $160, uh, that's a pretty good return on your investment for one hour of work, I think, okay, not bad for one hour, that's what I did, and if you want to do that, you can too, okay? Now, here's what you can do. Again, you have $160 now. You can sell all your cryptocurrency, cash it out. Uh, I would recommend first you convert it all into one cryptocurrency. Coinbase does have some transaction fees, but they don't have any fees when you convert from one cryptocurrency to another, okay? If you were to sell all of those cryptocurrencies one at a time, they're going to do a transaction fee to convert from a cryptocurrency to U.S. dollars, but if you convert, say, from, you know, Bitcoin to Litecoin or whatever to Dogecoin, there's no transaction fee for that. So you convert all of these various, they're giving you a bunch of different uh, different cryptocurrencies. Convert them all into to one. You know, I, again, my preference is Dogecoin. You might want to do, do Bitcoin or something. And then you could sell it and deposit that money back into your account. Uh, or you can keep it invested. Or you can use it to join my discipleship group. And if that's something you've been thinking about doing, then I would invite you to try that. And there are steps on how to do that. Basically, you go and join the discipleship group. And in the options, the payment options, you just click the pay with crypto, select the, 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 the pay with crypto option, and it will sort of walk you through the process there. Uh, it's really easy to pay with the crypto balance that is in your Coinbase account. Okay, and there should be about $160 in there, so it shouldn't be a problem for you. Okay, so anyway, it, it's basically about as simple as paying with your credit card. Okay, you have to input some numbers and other things, and that's it. Uh, very, very simple. Okay, so anyway, now look, I, I do want to tell you, none of this is financial advice. I want to make very sure I am not a financial advisor, and I also want to let you know crypto is very volatile. There is risk involved. Okay. Uh, like I said before, Dogecoin back in January, February was like, you know, seven cents, five cents. Now it's 20. Uh, but in March and April, it was up around 60, 70 cents. And you, you imagine if you had bought it at 70 cents and now it's sitting at 20, you wouldn't be too happy. Okay. So it is volatile. I want to, you to be aware of that. Um, so, so don't spend, you don't put all your life savings into, into this or anything. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just basically saying you can dip your toe in, uh, make a quick 60 bucks off of your initial investment, and then do whatever you want with the, the, that 60 bucks or the 160, whatever you have there, uh, and, and don't lose, you know, whatever you want to do. But um, 
Look, you might say, well, which crypto should I choose? Jeremy, why do you prefer Dogecoin? Look, there's a lot of variety of options. I would personally encourage you to stick with the top five or six. Bitcoin is sort of like uh, the gold standard of, of cryptocurrency, and it's good. And the thing is, is most people, when they buy Bitcoin, they hold on to it. They don't really use it because it's so rare. Uh, there's only 21 million Bitcoins. There only ever will be 21 million Bitcoins. Uh, you think of our U.S. government, they're printing trillions of dollars, and that's one of the reasons we're having inflation go skyrocketing. Well, Bitcoin was invented, literally invented, to try and protect the economy from this sort of abuse by our government. And that's why they limited it to 21 million. There can never be more, in the history of the world, can never be more than 21 million Bitcoins. Okay, so when people buy a Bitcoin, and they're very expensive, right now they're about $32,000 each. You don't have to buy one, though. You can buy a tiny fraction of one. You can put, you know, $5 into Bitcoin and buy a teeny tiny fraction of a Bitcoin. Anyway, a whole one is about $32,000. Um, you got to be pretty rich to buy one. Obviously, I don't have one. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so so people, when they buy the Bitcoin, there's only 21 million of them. They're going to hold on to it. They're not going to spend it. The reason I like Dogecoin is because it was created to be spent and used. And uh, that's why I'm excited to offer Bitcoin on my site at redeeminggod.com. Uh, yeah, you can pay with Bitcoin, uh, but if you if you have Dogecoin and you want to spend it to join my discipleship group, that's fantastic. I would uh, you know that's something you can do. Dogecoin is meant to be spent and used, just like you might spend and use the dollars in your wallet. Okay, so anyway, look, do your due diligence on all of this. Don't invest too much in crypto. Definitely not your life savings. It is volatile and risky. I'm not giving you financial advice. But if you wanted to do what I did and make a quick 60 bucks in cryptocurrency, dip your toe in the water, then uh, that option is now available to you by following these steps. Just go to redeeminggod.com, pay with crypto. Okay, I'm not trying to make this sound like a salesman. I'm just trying to say, hey, here's an option for you on uh, how to join my discipleship group for free and get $50 uh, on top of that uh, as well. So anyway, if you want to join the year, of course, $89 for the year, you're going to have to pay a little bit. You get 60 bucks and you pay 89s, you'll end up paying, you know, $29 uh, for the year. But anyway, do whatever you want. Uh, that's, that's an option that I wanted to make available to you. Enough with this. Let's move on to the question from a reader. You have. 937 messages, all of which are marked urgent. Yeah, that's the way it often is. I come home and check my email and hundreds of them download and I have to respond to so many. Um, too many to respond to sometimes. Anyway, sometimes you feel that same way, I bet. Here's a question I received from a listener about Calvinism. He wrote, I found and read your explanation in John 6, 41 to 47. I liked the way you explain it. Can I hear more about your ideas against the doctrines of TULIP? Okay. Uh, yeah, so he, he read a question, or he read an article about John 6, 41 to 47, which I've linked to in the manuscript section for this podcast. Um, and he liked it, so he wants to know more about Calvinism. And he mentions TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. It's an acronym for basically the five central points of Calvinism. You don't know about TULIP, you don't know about Calvinism, don't worry about it, okay? But TULIP stands for Total Depravity, Unconditional Election, Limited Atonement, Irresistible Grace, and Perseverance of the Saints, T-U-L-I-P. Anyway, 
yes, the answer to the question is yes. I have uh, a list of articles I have written on Calvinism and the doctrines of Tulip, and, and those are available on my website. Uh, if you go to just redeeminggod.com and scroll down a little bit, you'll see that. It's called The Words of Calvinism and the Word of God. So I'm basically explaining uh, what, what Scripture says about uh, the doctrines in response to the doctrine—about the doctrines of Calvinism. So clearly Calvinism didn't exist when Scripture was written, so that was poorly worded what I just said. But I digress. <laughs> uh, uh, look, um, that, that series on Calvinism, though, it's not finished. I'm only partway through, I think, Unconditional Election. So I did talk about total depravity. I talked a little bit about unconditional election, the U in TULIP, and then I didn't really get into LIP, Limited Atonement, Irresistible Grace, Perseverance of the Saints. Eventually, I want to finish that entire series of articles and turn them all into a book or maybe an online course for my discipleship group, or probably both. Um, But I have about five or six books, maybe 10 books that are higher priority right now that I'm working on. So anyway, eventually I will finish that series and hopefully get to it. So anyway, hope that answers your question, sort of a quick answer to the question. Let's get on to our study today of Ephesians 2.4. Right, so we're looking at Ephesians 2.4 and the biggest but in the Bible. All right, Ephesians 2.4 contains what I like to call the biggest but in Scripture— And uh, to see why this is, let me just sort of briefly explain, summarize, review what we have seen so far in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 addresses how God has solved the biggest problem in human history and how we as the church are to partner with God in fixing and correcting this problem, okay? So, so far, all we've really done is see what the problem is, and we looked at that in our studies of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, in those three podcast studies, we saw basically that the greatest problem in human history is that we humans engage in an endless cycle of violence against one another. And sort of worse than that, we do it in God's name. We justify our violence against others by saying, oh, well, I'm just carrying out God's will. What I'm doing is not evil. It's not wrong. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Okay? And what we see, though, there in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3, is that this is the satanic spirit. This is the spirit of the accuser. It's the spirit of this age. It's the, the, the kingdom of the air that's all around us, that we breathe. It it's permeates society and culture. And because of that, uh, society and culture is based on violence. It's founded on violence. And uh, we humans, we don't know any other way to live. This is the only way we know how to live. Uh, and that's why it's sort of the biggest problem, because uh, this cycle of violence just repeats over and over and over, and it sometimes escalates out of control and threatens to destroy all of civilization. Okay? So obviously we need to fix this problem. And Paul wants to tell us, the readers of Ephesians, how to fix this problem. And so that is what he explains in the rest of chapter 2. But first, he, he, he provides the solution, what, what God did to fix this problem. That's in verses 4 through 10. And then in uh, verses 11 through 22, how we as the church can apply this and show the world a better way to live. Okay? That's Ephesians chapter 2. So, we're looking at Ephesians 2.4. This is the very first first verse where Paul begins to explain 
the solution to this human problem, the great human problem. And Paul begins this section, it's verses, uh, verses 4 through 10, this section on the solution. He begins with the words, but God, but God. All right, don't ignore the small words in Scripture. Sometimes the smallest words in Scripture are the most important. And I would say this little word, but, in Ephesians 2.4, is one of the biggest buts in the Bible. <laughs> okay, I know, sort of funny, maybe sort of crass a little bit. Forgive me for that, please. But it's memorable, isn't it? The word but, it's a conjunction. And in this case, it's an adversative conjunction. It's tying these two ideas together in a, an adversative way showing contrast, okay, between what Paul has just said and what he is about to say next, okay? And what is the contrast? The contrast is between how we humans behave, verses 1 through 3, and how God behaves, verses 4 through 10, okay? Remember, uh, one of the, the aspects, the central aspects of the great problem we humans face is that when we engage in violence against other people, we do it in God's name. When we march off to war, what do we do? <laughs> uh, we get priests and pastors to bless the soldiers and preach sermons about how uh, this war is holy and just because we are defending the cause of liberty and justice in the world and, and expanding freedom to the oppressed peoples and other nations and so on, okay? Okay. And look, maybe they are oppressed, oppressed and so on. Okay, but maybe there's evil going on in the world. Okay, but this is what happens. We, we engage in violence. We, we engage in holy war. We call it just war here in the States. We do this against our enemies, and we do it in God's name. We think that when we seek to harm, stop, or even kill our enemies, that we are doing God's will. Okay? Now, it may not be killing our enemies. You know, the enemy's over there in the foreign country or whatever. Maybe it's our neighbor. Maybe it's our coworker. Maybe it's even a spouse or a family member. We do the same thing then. Maybe we don't, you know, we're not trying to kill them necessarily or even, you know, cause physical violent harm to them. But, you know, maybe we have a conflict with our neighbor or a coworker or, or a family member. And what do we do? Uh, we, we tend to view the other person as the one who is the sinner, the one who is morally inferior. And we don't feel like we ourselves have any fault in the matter. They are the sinners. They are the you know greedy ones or the arrogant ones. Uh, we're the righteous ones. In, in this situation, our view, our position is righteous and just and holy and good. They're the ones who have the fault. Okay, We're just standing up for truth. We're standing up for justice, and they're getting in the way of that, okay? And so our stand for righteousness, our stand for truth, it requires that we call them out, right? That we speak the truth in love, even though it's usually not very loving. Uh, that we condemn their sin, right? Because God is, wants us to point out the sins of other people, okay? That we, we, you know, at our jobs, maybe we try to get the other person in trouble with the boss or something. Okay, because uh, there's a right way to do things. And, it, uh, you know, it, it, it shows up in various ways. 
wide variety of ways in life. We're not trying to kill somebody other, somebody else, but we do feel like we're in the right, they're in the wrong, God's on our side, God is against them, and so we have a moral obligation to correct the wrong in somebody else. Um, and, and this is the way we all behave most of the time. Uh, our actions are justified. Our actions are righteous. Their actions are evil. Their actions are wicked. And, and then since our actions are the righteous ones, that means God's on our side, right? And since God's on our side, then that means he is uh, against our enemies, just as we are. Okay? We, we assume that God wants to see those enemies, those other people, punished just as much as we want to see them punished. You know, and sometimes we get that idea in our heads, and then we decide to take justice into our own hands and see that they receive the punishment we think they deserve, and we feel justified in this behavior because well, I'm just carrying out God's will. I'm just saying or doing what God, what God wants. But God. <laughs> Those are the words that Paul throws into this whole way of thinking. But God. We have a way we behave. We have a way we think. And we're justified. But God. You know, we haven't looked at the rest of the verse yet, but you could stop here and just sort of imagine, think of what Paul might be saying next. You look at what Paul has described in verses 1 through 3. and then fill in the rest ourselves of what where Paul might be going. We hate our enemies, we feel justified in condemning our enemies because they are the evil ones, but God. What could Paul possibly be saying after this adversative conjunction? But God. We could maybe imagine Paul might be saying, but God is not on our side the way we think. But God wants nothing to do with our violence and hatred against others. But God loves our enemies and wants to see them rescued and loved and forgiven just as much as he wants that for us. But God views our enemies the same way he views us. as objects of his love and affection, as worthy of nothing but grace, mercy, forgiveness, and acceptance. Okay, you know, we could imagine all sorts of things. And in fact, just if you have your Bibles and you're around someplace, you can look at a Bible, just look at verses 4 through 10, and you see that Paul does go on to say things very, very similar to what we would guess. If but God is an adversative conjunction, Paul is contrasting the way God behaves versus the way we behave, and we behave as a pretty dire situation, but also accurate of how we view others and treat others, but God behaves differently, then God behaves opposite the way we behave. And and that's exactly what Paul describes in verses 4 through 10. We're only looking at verse 4 today, but even right here, he has two descriptions of how God behaves differently than we do. God is rich in mercy. (laughs) And he has acted out of his great love for, with which he loved us. Okay, There's double emphasis there on love. We hate our enemies. We want to see them killed and destroyed and brought to justice. But God has mercy and love toward them. Okay? 
We sometimes think, well, God, thank you for your mercy towards us. You know, thank you for your love towards us. And thank you for hating my enemies as much as we know. God says, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yes, I'm showing love and mercy towards you. But as God, I am also showing the same exact love and mercy towards those other people, the people you don't care so much about. And if we're going to bring our heart in line with the heart of God, then maybe we should start viewing our enemies the way God views them. By the way, the word that uh, Paul uses here for love is agape love. You know about agape love. It's God's unconditional love for us. My Gospel Dictionary online course, it is the word I am currently working on. Hope to get that lesson out soon. It's about, I'm about halfway done with writing and studying for that lesson, but it'll get out eventually. And we're going to learn next time when we look at Ephesians 2, 5 through 7, I think is where we're headed next time. We'll see that God loved us even while we were in our trespasses, even while we were dead in our trespasses. Agape love is unconditional. God doesn't wait for us to uh, become obedient and faithful. He doesn't wait for us to become righteous. He doesn't even wait for us to love him in return. Agape love is unconditional. He loves us while we were yet sinners. He says it here, and he says it, Paul writes this also in Romans uh, 5.8. There are no conditions to agape love, God's agape love. He simply loves us because God is love and because we are the objects of his love. And guess what? He loves all of us. Yes, you, me, (laughs) and guess what? The people you dislike the most. Regardless of what they've done, regardless of who they are, regardless of how mean and nasty they are to you, God loves them. Okay? So here's what this means, and we'll just sort of closing closing down with this. Uh, We hate our enemies. We want to see them ruined. But God loves our enemies and wants to see them successful. Okay? We want to see our enemies face justice. But God, as the judge, wants to extend mercy to them. We cry out for justice, and he says, I think I'm going to show mercy to your enemies. What? Okay? Uh, This is the beginning. Verse 4 is the beginning of the radical message that Paul outlines in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. Okay, He explained the problem, the human problem, the great human problem in verses 1 through 3, and now he begins to unfold the solution to that problem. And the first initial and shocking truth is that when it comes to how we view our enemies, God is not on our side. Well, he is on our side, uh, but he's on their side too. And, and, and he doesn't have the same view of our enemies as we do, because he loves them just as much as he loves us. His view of our enemies is radically different than ours. Uh, that's a challenging thought, isn't it? Are, are you beginning to see why this is the biggest but in the Bible? Paul has described the greatest problem we humans face, and now Paul says, but God. God is not part of the problem, the way we humans think he is. 
(laughs) Quite to the contrary, God wants to bring an end to this problem. God wants to bring an end to all the violence and all the hatred. When Paul says, but God, he's saying, God stepped in to fix this problem, to initiate a a process of bringing an end to this problem. And that's why these two words are so important, okay? They are central to the good news message about why God sent Jesus to this earth. God sent Jesus to show the world the way forward out of the problem of human violent sin. I don't know if you ever heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher uh, of a previous generation. And uh, he once wrote an entire—if you think I'm going slow on Ephesians, by the way— uh, he preached on Ephesians, I don't know what it was, like for seven years or something. There's like, I don't know, eight or nine volumes of his studies, his sermons on Ephesians. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> he once preached during that series on Ephesians an entire sermon on just two words, but God. <laughs> okay, I'm doing a whole podcast episode on the entire verse, Ephesians 2.4. He did a whole sermon, it's about 35 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, on just the two words, but God. Uh, um, Anyway, near the beginning of that sermon, he said this, With these two words, we come to the introduction to the Christian message, the peculiar, specific message which the Christian faith has to offer to us. These two words, in and of themselves, in a sense, contain the whole gospel. The gospel tells us, what God has done. God's intervention. It is something that comes entirely from outside us and displays to us that wondrous and amazing and astonishing work of God, which the apostle goes on to describe and to define in the following verses. Yes, (laughs) cannot agree more with Martin Lloyd-Jones on that point. Okay, These two words are a hand grenade thrown into everything we think we know about God and how life works, okay, and, and, and how to deal with our enemies and what God thinks of our enemies. These two words blow all that to bits. God has a completely different plan than we do about how to deal with our enemies. And this plan is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, which Paul goes on to describe in the following verses. And that is where we're going to pick up next time when we look at, uh, most likely, verses 5 through 7. I'm currently planning on looking at three verses next time. That can change as I study and write more, but uh, that's where we're headed, I think, next time. By the way, it might be a couple of weeks. We're getting into that time of summer where I go camping with my kids and my family and do other activities. So I'm thinking, like, next week I won't be able to do a podcast, just a heads up on that. But uh, I will be able to, we'll we'll try to record podcast episodes as I'm able uh, and when I have time when I'm home. Okay, so, hey, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and your effort. If you have any questions, by the way, on all that Dogecoin stuff, just uh, send me a note through my website or on Twitter or Facebook or something. I'll try to answer you if I I can. So, um, anyway, hope you enjoyed this podcast study on uh, Ephesians 2.4 and the word but God, the biggest but in the Bible. (laughs) You're going to remember that, aren't you? All right, we'll see you next time when we look at uh, how God has done done this in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.5-7. See you then. Bye.